Hi everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the Adventist Millennial Podcast. I'm Emily, of course, as you probably know. Um, maybe a more apt name for this should have been the Adventist Millennials, plural, because, <clears throat> well, I want this place, this to be a place for everyone my age who is or has been an Adventist and is interested in talking about that. I'm not the Adventist Millennial, hopefully we all are. Um, so, I'm going to try to release one of these every week. Feel free to help hold me to that if you enjoy it, because being of the infamous millennial generation, I predictably suffer from chronic procrastination, laziness, and a lack of follow-through. But, if this ends up being actually of value to anyone out there, let me know and keep harassing me if I flake out or my shortcomings get the best of me. As is want to happen. Because, after all, that's the reason I'm doing this. As a consumer of content myself, I feel a lack of relevant Adventist voices speaking into our society and culture right now. Um, and if there were more things out there like this, I would definitely consume them myself. Because Adventism is a big part of my identity, it does make it hard to fully line up socially with a lot of what's out there in culture. I feel like I don't always completely fit in. Maybe you do too. Um, but I've also struggled with why we as a church can't seem to say or do anything that's not so niche as to be completely foreign and frankly uninteresting to people who are not as immersed in this culture as we are. Like, why can't we both be culturally informed, critical in our thinking, and still value the uniqueness of our worldview? So that's what I want to talk about in this episode. I'll go through my own journey and kind of how I've come to this perspective that I currently have, why I'm an Adventist and why I haven't completely given it up like so many people my age have, and then we'll talk about what's going on with our generation at large in the church, then I want to share a couple of thoughts on prayer if I have time, and then we will wrap it up. So, here we go. Well, where do I even... Where do I want to start? Like many of you, presumably, um, I grew up Adventist, so this means I cut off my entertaining activities at sundown on Friday, of course, after my mom reminded us, reminded us that it was preparation day and we completed our cleaning, our sweeping, dusting, mowing the lawn, etc. Um, then we were imprisoned, I mean to say privileged to worship until 24 hours later at sundown on Saturday. Um, and that's when the fun began, because we could order a pizza and watch a movie, and our burdens became light. Um, and as a kid who didn't have deep thoughts or experiences, as children tended to not do, um, this was a frustrating thing to have to halt everything fun, to suddenly stop everything we wanted to do, and be obliged to, in many cases, do nothing. Sabbath afternoons were either go outside or sit quietly and do not much of anything until sundown. Um, so it wasn't until I got older that I realized Sabbath would actually mean something to me, even if that was, at the very least, a, just a cultural tradition. Because, hey, even as adults, it's easy to fall into the trap of seeing Sabbath as so legalistic to the point of feeling compelled to rebel against it. At least that's, I know that's true for me. Um, but I will say... I think a lot of people who grew up Adventists feel this way too. There is something experientially different about Sabbath when you actively live your life differently on that day than the other six. Um, but anyway, back to my stereotypically Adventist roots, I was homeschooled. 
My parents didn't raise me vegetarian as a lot of people were, but I became one, <laughs> one when I was eight because I was just kind of over meat one day and um, I was like, this is gross, I'm not eating it anymore. And I still hold that opinion to this day. But I will say a few months ago, I decided to add chicken breast to my diet and that lasted for about one whole meal. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess I'm just not cut out to be part of the cool meat eating counterculture of modern Adventists. I don't know. Anyway, um, even though I have a pretty rebellious personality and I will defy everything and anything just to assert my will. Um, growing up, I never felt particularly hostile to religion. I think that was because there were a lot of things in my life that I could see pretty convincingly as God working, and I wasn't t tempted to think ever that he wasn't real. Um, when I was very young, obviously, I didn't have a lot of political or doctrinal beefs because, well, I was dumb and I was a kid. Um, not many people do. Also, I was lucky enough to have a dad who had gone through... The struggle of coming to terms with religion and struggling with it in a way our generation is more prone to do than his was. So whenever I had questions or crit critiques, he'd already gone down that road and he could speak some wisdom to the inconsistencies in the church that might have turned me off um, being the contrarian that I am. But then at the same time, my dad never told me what to do or why I was an idiot at 16, even though I was, and he let me go on my own journey. Um, so there was a time after I was baptized, as one is when they don't particularly have a lot of bones to pick with Christianity at 15. Um, so after I was baptized, I started hanging out in more fundamentalist, very conservative Adventist circles. You thought I was going the other way with it, didn't you? That I went off the deep end, but no. Um, I got very conservative. I'm talking Bible working, GYC, YFJ, for those of you who know what I'm talking about. The whole being vegan, wearing skirts, memorizing my chain references, quoting Ellen White in every situation, that whole crowd. Um, traditional evangelism, door knocking, and t taking the peculiar people slogan extremely seriously is very big in this Adventist subculture. Um, and though legalism is always talked about and rejected in word, I couldn't help thinking as a teenager that they were just words, based on how everyone acted and treated each other regarding outward behavior. If this is something that other people can relate to, we can talk about it more, but for now, let's just say that I appreciate that time in my life as a part of the journey that I needed to go through to come to my own philosophy and experience. Um, but there are also things that I saw during those times of my life that I really think illustrate why so many people do leave the church. I honestly believe that some of the people I knew in those circles were genuine, most of the people actually, they were genuine God-loving people who were trying to live the best they knew how, and I would still consider most of them my friends today, but I also think there are some really damaging ideas about God that get perpetuated, whether that's nefariously or by accident. Um, even when I was that very conservative person, I questioned it at this, while at the same time being fully committed to it, but only to understand it better. And even that level of questioning to understand was portrayed as dangerous, I felt, and uh, well, dangerous at best and heretical at worst. I remember when I was a Bible worker, I would listen to lectures or sermons from prominent people and have, like, a lot of cognitive dissonance over what we as humans instinctively know is good and right and 
what I was being told. Um, there were several times I remember calling my dad and giving him, like, the rundown of everything that I was thinking and what I'd been hearing, and he always just pitched questions at me, encouraging me to keep thinking about what I was hearing and not accepting everything just on authority. Um, and at the time, I, I probably couldn't have told you that he disagreed with what I was hearing and entertaining because he didn't tell me that. He let me struggle and work things out for myself because, um, we're really similar and I think he suspected that trying to impose ideas on me would, like, trigger my rebelliousness. <laughs> and he was probably right. Good thing he was smarter than me <laughs> and still is. So, um, after all that, I went to college, and I got to the place that a lot of college students get to, where you really just don't care. Going to church, no thanks. Um, Adventist doctrine is important, not really. Keeping the Sabbath, eh, maybe if it's convenient, but also probably not. I don't really care. Um, the pendulum didn't swing all the way in the other direction with my actions, like I didn't party and get myself into a lot of the things that college students can get themselves into. So if you knew me at that time, you probably wouldn't have thought um, that I was different necessarily just by looking at the things that I did. But on the inside, I, I definitely didn't really care. Uh, I wanted to be in the world, but if you're an Adventist and you've grown up conservative Adventist, you know that there are like near Catholic levels of guilt that um, can keep you pretty straight-laced on the outside, even if you defy everything on the inside, and that was definitely me at that time. So, uh, if you know me at all, you know that I'm more generally a thinker than a feeler, so I had to reckon with a lot of contradicting thoughts and philosophies that I saw in the church. Um, I was a, a writing major in college, and I always liked fiction and television and storytelling and especially comedy. And there was actually a time when I dreamed of writing for TV, but not only does TV culture make Adventists clutch their pearls, um, a lot of Adventists, even just any fiction in general, just makes their sphincter snap shut. Like, it's just that bad. Um, and I had more than one conversation with my English professors about how creative in the church are supposed to express their art if we're not allowed to engage in culture because it's so toxic and so dangerous. And no one could ever really give me a satisfying answer. Um, and I think that's still a huge problem for the church at large and part of why we're so irrelevant. At the time, I really felt like everything we did was stale and bland and stifled. Everyone had like this giant stick up their butt and they couldn't laugh or make fun of anything because it was irreverent. Um, and they shielded their eyes from everything that was attractive to me in music, TV, movies, books. Because, you know, as they say, well they don't say, but they imply, the feeling is there, that you'll get Satan cooties and the minute that you blink you'll suddenly be deceived and lost without even realizing it or consenting to it. And that attitude really made me mad. But, like I said earlier, I had enough experiences that convinced me of God that I didn't want to reject Him as much as um, the strangling thought culture of the Adventism that I saw. So, even though I was raging against everything on the inside, I never stopped pitching ideas against people that I trusted to think clearly and not compromise the consistency of ideas in favor of conforming to mainstream scare doctrine. Eventually, and I plan to get into the nitty-gritties of this as we go on, um, 
I came to the place I'm at now, somewhere between heretical to fundamentalist Adventists and clinging to outdated traditions to the progressive Adventists. So that's a little bit about why I'm here. Now let's talk about why you might be here. Um, it seems like the previous generation who are leading the church right now are all running around wringing their hands about why are all the young people leaving the church? And it seems like the more they try to get us back, the more we're like, yeah, no, hard pass. Um, and none of them can really figure out why while all of us are like, uh, it doesn't bring anything into my life that I can't experience outside of the stifling atmosphere. Um, I don't know, at least that's what I see. Maybe you have different thoughts on why our peers are leaving the church. If you do, feel free to send them to me because I want to hear your guys' opinions. But here are a few of the things that I've heard. Um, one, there's no community in the church. They're, the culture is intolerant and dogmatic. Um, we're not supposed to question things that don't make sense. Uh, people in the church act like hypocrites and won't admit it. And, of course, it just it's boring and irrelevant. So, I, I do agree with these things because I've had the same gripes myself. But there's also an aspect of what Adventists believe that's valuable, and people in the world are actually searching for it. Like, I think some of the younger millennials and the Gen Zers are starting to see the value in more conservative social norms, like family, strong families. They're starting to see the results of the downfalls of postmodern thought um, and the value of absolute truth. They're starting to see the value of the effects of religion on society as a whole, even if they still reject God and dogmatic ideology of religion, or what they see as dogmatic ideology. Um, and in, so in a way, there's something I want to say to both crowds. Like, to one side, I want to say, hey, Adventists, you say there's always more light and truth to uncover, but you don't live as if that's true, because if it's not status quo it's incorrect and to people in the world i want to say there is something to god and religion that when you come face to face with it it will change your life so i guess that's why i'm here um because i want to start seeing if that's true if people in the church can evolve and people outside the church can realize its value and hopefully i'll learn something myself along the way because obviously i don't have all the answers or know everything I still have questions myself, but if there's no community in the church, let me create one. If it's intolerant and dogmatic, let me open the floor to new ideas. If it doesn't make sense, let me piece it together until it does make sense. If people in the church are hypocrites, how can I see that in myself and fight against it? And if it's boring, how can I make it interesting? Like, maybe I'm the only one looking for this and trying to live it out, but I don't think I am. Okay, now let's talk about prayer. I've been thinking about prayer lately. I don't know why. Um, usually I have something that I'm just simmering kind of in the back of my mind. And this is what's been boiling up lately. So, generally I've heard a couple of different takes on prayer. The first one is we're supposed to pray to God and bring things in our lives to Him and ask Him to intervene because if we're humbled enough, contrite enough, repentant enough, His graciousness will kick in and He'll act on our behalf. He wasn't going to, but since we asked so nicely and groveled so sweetly, okay, He'll humor us. Um, that's kind of an old school way of looking at it. But then there's another take that I've also heard, and actually I've heard this recently from a couple of different people who were expressing it, both a young person and an old person, well, an older person. Um, and that is this. 
we're not praying to God to soften his heart or to convince him to help us. We're praying because it's good for us. It changes us. He would gladly and willingly do everything good for us, but he wants to give us the chance to grow and get closer to him. So he waits until we ask prostrately. And in the end, he's happy because he gets to help us and we're happy because uh, we've become more mature and more in tune with God. Well, okay. I don't think either of these quite get it right. I don't completely disagree with the second one. I do completely disagree with the first one because it necessitates that God withholds things from us unless we self-flagellate to please him. And I don't think that that's a loving picture because um, if there's one thing that the Bible tries to be clear about, it's that God is like a mother hen gathering his chicks, us, under his wing in love. Uh, he wants to do good things for us, he longs to do good things for us, and he doesn't have to be convinced, and that is part of the second take. But where the second take goes off the rails, I think, is that it walks back the idea of God being withholding to a point, but not completely. In that construct, he's still w waiting for us to get our act together. He's still waiting for us to do something in order to be ready to receive what what he has to give us. It's a little bit better, but that same distasteful nuance of being kind of vindictive is still there, especially if you believe that that's his stance toward us in prayer all the time. Parents don't look at their kids and say, I mean, I would love to give you Christmas presents, but until you get a little more mature and learn some lessons about how good I am to you, I'm gonna say no. Uh, generally, parents like to do things nice for their kids because they love their kids, not because their kids have successfully learned a lesson. That might be a measure that parents take in rare occasions when they want to teach a very urgent and specific lesson, but usually, parents like to love their kids. Gus, what are you doing? He's sneezing. Okay. Um, so... I think that God is the same way, like parents. Uh, now, I have to apologize a little bit because I think this being the Adventist Millennial Podcast and all, there are at least some prerequisite knowledge of Adventist beliefs that's assumed. So, I'm not going to explain the concept of the Great Controversy in very, um, in detail, but if you get lost and you have questions, let me know and I will explain. But anyway, okay. If you accept the premise of the great controversy, the idea that God and Satan are mounting a great theater to let selfish nature play out against selfless nature and see who's not lying about which one they have, you also have to believe that there are some rules of engagement. Uh, so think of the story of Job. The way it's described, they're all having this meeting in heaven. Satan comes up all like, you guys suck, you big fat liars. If people knew who you really were, they'd hate you. Um, and he's like, let me go in there and cause all kinds of havoc. And Job, I promise you, will denounce you like in a hot second. And you see God restricted from intervening while Satan just runs amok, causing all of this havoc and insane, unimaginable tragedies. And I think this story really illustrates the sort of rules of the quote-unquote game that have been established in the Great Controversy. So Adventists believe that life is temporary, that what is reality now will not always be reality, that God is defending his character against accusations and libel by Satan. But in order to prove that he is as pro-freedom, pro-love, pro-not 
coercing people and bending them to his will, he's forced to take kind of a hands-off approach. Satan is playing dirty, but God can't fight fire with fire. He has to play within the rules or he loses the claim to his character. So this means that he can't just go around meddling in people's lives willy-nilly or Satan would be like, times, times, times I call times. That's not the rules. Um, meanwhile, <laughs> Satan is like the first grader who keeps changing the rules every time something doesn't go his way. Like, nah, I'm allowed to kill all of Job's kids because that's a new rule starting now. And if God says, uh, hold on, we didn't agree to that, Satan's just like, everybody, he's cheating. So, uh, God wants to do things for us. He longs to help us. He hates to see us in pain. But to maintain free will, his hands are tied because Satan says, if you interfere, that's a violation of free will, the thing that you claim to uphold. But if we ask him to interfere, Satan has no recourse. It's within the rules of the agreement because we're consenting. Well, we're consenting. It's not unfair or an imposition on us by God. Um, in order to garner unearned points by buying our love. If we ask him to do things, he's not uh, stepping in out of bounds. So God's just waiting, holding his breath, hoping we'll ask him so he can swoop in and say, you can't call time Satan because they called reverse times and I'm allowed to do it. And that is why I think there are some things that God won't do for us unless we pray for them, be simply because he's not allowed to do it to protect our free will. So, guys, pray. Use your free will. Invite him in. Um, let God off the bench. Don't let Satan call times. And I am striving to do that more myself. And thank you guys for sticking around and listening. I'm going to try to keep doing these longer discussions on various topics. Um, if I can, I'd like to get some interviews with various people and maybe some panels of people even. If you have ideas about what you'd like to hear or what you want me to talk about, let me know. Um, so I hope you enjoyed this and I hope you have thoughts about what I said. If you do, definitely feel free to share them with me if there are things you want me to talk about or questions that you have, message me. If there are people that you think would get something out of this, share it with them so we can all kind of bounce ideas off each other. I think that would be really fun. Okay, so bye everyone. See you next week.